0: Welcome to Forever Leeds.
1: Hello and welcome to the first episode of Season 4 of Forever Leeds. This is the podcast for anyone who's been a student at Leeds or wants to be one. All brought to you by the University of Leeds Advancement Team. I'm Rich Williams and I'm joined by my fabulous co-host, Georgia Lay. How are you doing, Georgia?
0: I'm good, thank you. How are you?
1: I'm good. I was walking in like the, the Roger Stevens pond has unfrozen itself after the last couple of weeks cold snap and it's just gone to its regular peaceful, sit by it, have a nice cup of coffee and relax kind of area, which is good. What's been going on around campus? What have you been doing?
0: Just deadlines. It's been pretty quiet the last few weeks. B has been very full with people trying to work through their exams. Edward
1: Boyle, presumably. Yes,
0: the Edward Boyle Library. So that's slowly emptying out now. Party season's coming back. The nights out are beginning again. The next semester starts
1: next week. And you're busy with Lead Student TV Awards. It's award season, not just the Oscars, not just the Golden Globes, but the big one.
0: Nasta, yeah. yes. I'm going for the comedy entry this year with a couple of my friends, so we've been planning and filming that, and we've got some really great entries this year, so it's really exciting.
1: Good luck with it all. Thank you. So, a busy first episode of The New Term. Georgia, what's on the way?
0: We delve into the weird and wonderful world of Henry G, who, along with being an award-winning writer, brought glory to Leeds on University Challenge. And we're lucky to be joined by lecturer Josie Self who is going to explain how climate change is impacting our oceans and how counting fish is key to fighting back.
1: We're also excited that one extra radio host and actor Mim Shake is here to tell us all about why coming to the University of Leeds was the best thing he did. Plus, we join the queue to get into Fruity, the iconic Leeds student club nights. So we really do have something for everyone. And remember, there's a new episode of Forever Leeds out every month during term time. So if you like what you hear, make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your audio. And do tweet us as well. We are at Leeds Alumni. We would love to hear all about what you were getting up to and your time spent at Leeds. Or just tell your Leeds Alumni friends about us and help spread the word. Now, it's hard to imagine what life was like more than four billion years ago, but that's just what our next guest has done. Henry G won the Royal Society Science Book Prize 2022 for A Very Short History of Life on Earth. And while we don't have four billion years to talk about the evolution of the planet, we can discuss him finding a passion for zoology, what winning University Challenge was like, and the crazy times he had in the Leeds
2: Prog Rock Society. My name is Henry G. I'm a recovering paleontologist and a senior editor at the journal Nature. I came to Leeds in 1981 to study biochemistry and zoology, but I discovered that biochemistry was very dull. It was like cookery and you couldn't even eat the results. So in my final year, I changed to genetics and zoology. I Chose genetics because I used to enjoy the chat in the genetics coffee room. The scientists used to rush in and say, gosh, did you see what they've just published in Nature? I've got to alter my lecture notes. But Leeds was always going to be my place. Ever since I saw the prospectus, I just fell in love with it. And Leeds had that flexibility in combined honours. And you know, I came to Leeds and I just loved the place. I like the directness of Yorkshire people. I like the kind of the newness to me of living in a big industrial city and not being in a campus university which was removed from the town, as it were, or one that dominated the city. It was actually living in a city. Well, what got me into zoology was this. Now, most kids know the names of ten dinosaurs before they're potty trained. That is, the kids not the dinosaurs, and I was one of those kids. Now, I was a small child in South London and was introduced, while still in my stroller, to the Horniman Museum, a very old-fashioned museum full of stuffed animals, and I loved that kind of den of antiquity. And when I was five, I was introduced to the Natural History Museum. This was in the 60s when the Natural History Museum was really going through a very low ebb. It was very dusty, and not many people seemed to visit it, and I seemed to have the whole place to myself. It was magical, and really, in my heart, I've never left. My Professor in the Zoology Department was the late great McNeil Alexander, who many people will remember and he as well as being the head of Department and having a thriving research output, he used to interview all the second year students, even the joint honour students, you know those not always in his department and He interviewed me, and I remember it like it was yesterday he asked me, what do you want to do with your life, Henry? And I just squeaked. I want to be a vertebrate paleontologist. I mean, it just dropped into my head. And he leaned over me, looking like a cross between Albus, Dumbledore, Obi-Wan, Kenobi and Gandalf. He was a very kindly man with a long white beard and said, you realize there aren't many openings in vertebrate paleontology. And he pulled a few strings and I got a vacation studentship at the at the Natural History Museum, and that's where I got immersed in it. If you read my book, A Very Short History of Life on Earth, it seems actually quite a simple story, but the route to writing it was more complicated than it first seems. It's a well-worn theme, writing about the history of life on Earth. Lots of people have done it, but my angle was very much a personal one, In the Nature office, I used to go and interrupt my colleague David Adam, who is a writer and also a Leeds alumnus, I believe, who would write about psychology. And we'd talk about the books we were writing. And he'd say, Henry, why don't you write about all those fossils you've had the privilege of nursing into publication over 30 something years as an editor at Nature? And I thought that was a good idea. So I wrote this book called. Let's Talk About Rex, A Personal History of Life on Earth. It was a kind of more of a memoir, really. But the first unease came from my parents who said, it's all very nice, dear, but who's going to read this book apart from the people who are actually mentioned in the book? So I thought, hmm, that's quite a good comment. But my agent is a bit more tactful than my mum and dad and said, why don't you just tell the story? Why didn't you just do the narrative? So in the end, I boiled it down and boiled it down, and it became a narrative of the history of life on Earth, which I could manage to tell in quite a short book, mostly by keeping the boring bits out. When I was at Leeds, I was on the committee of the what was the Heavy Metal Society, but the Heavy Metal Society got banned. And so it had to be renamed the Progressive Rock Society. And I remember being the treasurer and I had to get the checkbook off a Hell's Angel called Big Paul that was really quite an experience. And in the Progressive Rock Society, we used to run the most fantastic discos in the basement of the Union building. And the Union used to love us because our discos were so well run. You know, when I was there, Andy Kershaw was the NSEC. And we had some fantastic bands in the end. So I would just go to the union after doing a bit of work. I'd just go for a pint at the end of the day. And I'd say, what's going on in the refect tonight? Oh, it's Elvis Costello and the attractions. Do you want to go and see them? I said, yeah, fine. It was like that in those days good times. And one thing that I did enjoy with Leeds was I appeared on for University Challenge in 1983. And we got, I think, one of the highest scores ever in one of our matches. University College Swansea got 70 points and we got 415. And I'm still in touch with my captain, Susan Leather. And then uh, a few years ago, I was invited back to one of their Christmas alumni versions. And my captain then was the great Reverend Richard Coles. And we won the championship. We beat all the Oxbridge colleges. I think we were the first non-Oxbridge college to ever win the alumni version of University Challenge. So we really did feel like the young ones. You know, we beat all the posh kids. And so when I watch Christmas University Challenge now, I irritate my wife. When it gets boring, I say, you know, they really ought to have me on this show. And she says, will you stop saying that?
0: Now, we know that climate change is a huge threat to our planet, but how is it affecting the ecosystems in our oceans? Dr. Josie South from the Faculty of Biological Sciences works with an international team to predict what will happen to life below the waves as the planet heats up. And she's here to convince us that fish hold the answers to how our changing climate is impacting our world. Josie, welcome to Forever Leeds. Thank you
3: for coming. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. This is...
1: Fascinating. And we want to delve into the work that you've been doing and the process of counting fish in particular, which I've heard of counting <laughs> sheep, but not necessarily heard of counting fish in, in work. But maybe just give a bit of context to everyone listening at the moment about the problem it is that you're looking at, what's caused it and, and how you're addressing it.
3: Sure. So it's quite multifarious. What we have is a series of stresses. You have climate change, but alongside climate change you have other stresses. You have things like non-native invasive species that also act at the same time as climate change. We want to understand what the impact of all of these different stresses have on various ecosystems. So I work particularly with fish and aquatic ecosystems. This could be in the sea or in fresh waters. So what we want to do is predict sort of 10 years in advance what might be happening so that we can put mitigation measures in place now rather than wait 10 years down the line and think, oh, no everything's dead or everything's changed so much that we can't really do anything about it. This might seem like a bit of a silly question, <laughs> but how exactly do you count how many fish there are? It's Especially... not a silly question. I, was, I was also
4: We
0: all want to know the the the, when
3: the ocean is so big and obviously the fish aren't staying still. It, tell you what, it, it, it can be a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> but there, there, there are a variety of methods. So one way of people doing it in terms of fisheries in the ocean You take fisheries dependent and fisheries independent data. So all this means is that for fishing boats, they all land everything in a port. Some poor, poor individual (laughs) has to stand at that port and weigh, measure, categorise a subset of everything that comes in. We also have people out on a subset of boats who do the same thing. And then you have things like government trawls. So those government surveys go out independently and then they can match it up to what the fisheries boats are bringing in. That's on an incredibly industrial scale. What I do is a little bit smaller. We, we pretty much either set nets in the water, so gill nets, fish swing them into them, and you pull them back out, count them, categorize them. Or, a bit more fun, uh, we have an electrofisher. This can only be used in freshwater, otherwise, you can have a large issue <laughs> with electricity and seawater, <laughs> which health and safety doesn't really like. <laughs> a quick caveat regarding the electrofishing. The idea is that we don't kill things. What it what it does is it essentially stuns them so that we can catch them easier. We usually, once we've caught them, we then put them into an aerated bucket. We measure them. We identify them. We then keep them on the bank side in this aerated bucket of river water or wherever water from where we've caught them. And we wait till they've fully come round. This takes about less than a minute currently what we're trialing is underwater cameras so you attach a bait canister you drop a set of cameras in usually there's two cameras so you can calibrate them to measure length of fish depending on the distance that they are at this gives an added benefit of not electrocuting yourself you can get data really quickly and anything that swims past is counted then some very very fortunate undergraduate gets to sit and watch these videos and write down what they see.
1: You get to work in the Aquatics Interactions Lab, (laughs) which just sounds very cool. Just tell us a bit about it down here because most people probably don't realise I didn't realise there's an Aquatics Interactions Lab, so what's going on in there?
3: It's it's, it's actually only been in existence since around September. Oh, wow. Um, So I've only been at the university for about a year now. The School of Biology has very kindly set me up a really nice lab, and the lab is entirely dedicated to my research programme, which is Aquatic Interactions, which, as I like to put it, who's eating what and exactly what are they doing. At the minute, we don't actually have any fish in there because of the way it's been developed. What we do have is a large amount of invasive crayfish, and actually today we might be rescuing a population of endangered crayfish. They might be appearing in the lab in like three hours, um, which is quite exciting.
1: This work could take you anywhere around the world, I oh, guess, couldn't uh, it? it? Easily.
3: That's that's the idea.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but I was going to say the one thing that links us all, you, me, George, everyone listening to this podcast is the University of mm-hmm. Leeds. So why the University of Leeds? What it is about here? That is where you want to centre your work and where you want to base this amazing stuff from?
3: Sure, well, Leeds, Leeds is obviously an incredibly research-intensive university. Um, one, we have really good facilities within the university. The fact that I have this fully developed aquatics lab to walk into and actually really invest time. Also Yorkshire is an excellent place to go and do field work. You know, we have the Dales right around the corner. There's some incredibly exciting projects and questions that can be asked there. So you have facilities right on your doorstep and within the university. Plus the university has such good international links this has been something that i've really been able to one contribute to and also benefit from
1: amazing thank you so much for sharing with us the work that you're you're doing at the moment we should probably let you get back to see if those crayfish uh, thank you uh, arrive as <laughs> as hopeful in the like next someone's few hours gonna
3: need to go and babysit them absolutely
1: someone's <laughs> gonna need to update us on that at some point in the future josie thank you so much for being on forever leads
3: brilliant thank you cheers
1: Now you might recognize the voice of our next guest if you're a fan of Radio 1 Extra but he's also acted in a number of roles including in an exciting new film called What's Love Got to Do With It which is coming out soon. It's written and produced by Jemima Khan and Mim stars alongside Shazad Latif, Lily James and Emma Thompson. Mim Shake graduated from Leeds in broadcast journalism in 2012 and he joins us to reminisce on hosting Leeds Student Radio and interviewing Mahatma Gandhi's grandson and will I am. Quite the combo.
4: Hi, my name is Mim Sheik. I'm a broadcaster and an actor, and I studied at the University of Leeds. I studied broadcast journalism because I just had this thought that in the future, I just saw a lot of things happening with technology, and I thought broadcast would definitely be more beneficial. And I'm so glad I made that decision because look where we are now. Uh... The music scene in Leeds was so important because I managed to get a show on Leeds Student Radio. First time I ever broadcasted. It's a terrible broadcast. I didn't know what I was doing, right? But I got to meet quite a few musicians. Anytime anybody would come up to Leeds, for example, I would be there with my little recorder in my hand, uh, talking to the people who are organising the PR and trying to get some time to interview them. So you kind of look at like what, what you're interested in in your youth. And I think for me, I think you just go where your passion is at the end of the day. Yeah, so I was doing Leeds Student Radio, managed to get some student radio awards at the time, then managed to get a work experience placement at Newsbeat whilst I was still at Leeds, built some relationships and contacts. And yeah, just got an email from someone basically saying, the Asian network are looking for an assistant producer. Um, would you be interested? I applied, got my way into the building. and never looked back. I would say I was the first South Asian daytime broadcaster on one extra got weekend breakfast that's the start of people's day they've got you on in the car in the lorries whilst they're going out to work so you you have a big responsibility I didn't know at the time what it was I just I just got up and done um and I think why that was so key was because I was able to actually just learn about broadcasting presenting having fun uh, how to come in and out of records how to play music what gets to interview Whilst doing it at a time when maybe not everybody will be tuned in, but you definitely get uh, a lot of listeners. And my highlight from doing the weekend breakfast show was probably having an amazing conversation with Will. I am. And the reason why I say that is he's such a creative and talented individual for his music and everything that he does. But this man came in to do this interview with his publicist and didn't leave our studio until two hours after the show finished because we were just chatting and he was talking about old experiences with Jimmy Iovine, Dr Dre, the, uh, Black Eyed Peas, how they went on to like become a huge success and I was just there like wow this is these are some gems that I'm able to to listen to yeah so that that would probably be one of those experiences for sure. So the acting side of my career is thanks to the BBC, to be fair. I was at the BBC. Um, I was working as an assistant producer. Uh, Riz Ahmed came in for an interview uh, on one of the shows that we were working on. And he was casting at the time for a short film that he wanted to make called Daytimer, which is all about these daytime raves that used to take place for young South Asians to kind of go to and party because their parents didn't let them go out at night. And I basically told him, yeah, you should put me in there. I, 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 should, I just, I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I'm, I'm di- I was different then to how I am now, loud and just out there and speaking my mind. And he, he was like, yeah, he, just, he put me, he casted me as a character in a short film. Uh, I got an acting agent off the back of that. And yeah, I haven't looked back, really enjoy really enjoy acting and conveying characters. So what's love got to do with it is uh, British South Asian romantic comedy written by Jemima Khan and directed by Shekhar Kapoor. It's, a, it's one of the first times I've actually been able to read a script which kind of celebrates British and South Asian identity. Uh, it's very rare. It's, it's never really happened. Yeah, the responsibility question is an interesting one, because I think when there might not be as many people doing what you're doing, people will say you have a responsibility to kind of present things in the right way. Um, I would say for me, yeah, I think now, where I am in my career, I'm a bit more selective of why I want to do something, what it means, um, and how it can move the conversation forward, I think. My favourite standout Leeds memory, uh, I would have to say, waking up in Headingley at my house, which was on Escort Terrace at the time, going to Union Barbers and getting a haircut, or going to Piranhas, and getting a haircut from there from a guy called Ashley, who used to give me the sickest fade. And then going to get some food from Bakery 169, uh, going to university, going to a few lectures, preparing my shows, and then getting the bus down back to Leeds, uh, presenting the show, and then going out on a night out. And yeah, it was just, it was it was good vibes. Everybody could wear whatever they wanted. Um, the music that would be playing would be old school. Everybody would come. Yeah, it was, it was... You're making me go back and relive all of these like really, really, really good memories, man. This is why I'm saying. Leeds, the university, is such a great union.
0: And finally, if you were a student at Leeds from the early 2000s, you'll remember the iconic student union club night, Fruity. It just celebrated its 21st birthday, making it one of Leeds' longest running student nights and a little bit younger than me. But we're wondering what makes it so popular? Our roving reporter, Tom Davy, met some fruity fans to investigate.
4: Just all like
1: old bangers sing-along tracks.
5: Crazy,
0: ridiculous. Um, what's the word Izzy? Come on. Cheesy goodness. I want to be knackered
1: <laughs> when I come out.
0: I've like, never that's... been to Fruity My entire life. I'm Australian.
5: I'm Thomas Davy, and today I'm visiting the queue outside Fruity Fridays, the University Union's premier club night. Home of cheesy tunes, pop bangers, and fancy dress, Fruity has been a university staple for the past 21 years. I asked students to sum up the club night, talk about their experiences, and predict the playlist for the night. One sentence, <laughs> Fruity, what's it all about?
3: Iconically tonight. Nice. Yeah. Classic. It's going to be sweaty
5: and gross. Sweaty, sweaty.
3: But it's going to be balanced by the good tunes, I
5: hope. It's a Friday night, Ollie Run. It's the only accessible place to go on a Friday night. And you say you just been from an Otley Run? Yeah, from the Otley Run. Mass Social. Nice. I asked students to predict what songs they'd be dancing to tonight. Now, lots of songs were mentioned, but I think there was probably one overall winner. ABBA. ABBA, all right. Ed
4: Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. 2012. Katy Perry.
5: Uh-huh, okay. Ed's Rihanna. Uh-huh. Have you got any uh, expectations of the music you're going to hear tonight? Uh, Top 40, I'd say. We often play Fruity Bingo, where you guess at least five songs that are going to get played before you go in. So, Gimme Gimme, ABBA. The staple is Let It Go. go. Probably the only club in Leeds you could play a Disney song, I reckon. Talking to people going to Fruity, the excitement in the air was palpable. Whether you went to Fruity or another Leeds night out during your time at Leeds, it's clear that the city has always had an amazing nightlife. Students here are having fun, socialising with friends and making memories that will last a lifetime even if they don't remember it all the next morning. You love a bit fruity, but it's ridiculous. Come
0: on. Fruity goodness.
5: (laughs) Great. Thank you, guys.
0: One of your five a day. Yeah. (laughs) And that's the end of our first episode back for the spring term. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We'll be back in March with more alumni news and interviews. But before we leave you,
1: a big thank you for continuing to support the students who need you most here at Leeds. By supporting Leeds students through the alumni network, students who may have caring responsibilities or have been in care themselves, or those who are the first in their family or area to go to university can be supported throughout their studies. Your donations supports scholarships and even help students to afford the everyday essentials that are now costing more than ever. When you donate, you open up opportunities and transform the futures of thousands of people.
0: Alumni donors support those from less advantaged backgrounds to have the same exceptional experiences at Leeds that we've all had. Your generosity also helps to fund the PLUS programme, where dedicated professionals provide students with the support they need to succeed. Do you want to support the next generation of students during these anxious times? Make a donation today by visiting bit.ly. Forever slash Forever Students. That's bit.ly slash Forever Students.
1: And can you believe it? That's it for our first episode of the new term. Georgia, as always, thank you. What's the plan for the rest of the week? Then I know you've got your, your student awards for the uh, NASTAs to sort out. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, so it's a little bit of that and a little bit of going out as lectures start next week. So I'm going out tonight and tomorrow and the day after.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Why not? Will that include a a trip to Fruity? It will
0: definitely include a trip to
1: Fruity. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us and we will see you in four weeks' time.
0: Thank you for listening. Forever Leads was presented by Rich Williams and Georgia Lay and produced by Andrew Harrison and Kasia Tomashevich. Audio packages by Tom Davey, and audio production was by Robin Lebone. Forever Leeds is a Podmasters production for the University of Leeds advancement team.